Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Hello, folks! It's the B&E Podcast with Brandon and Evan. And uh, I don't know, it's always a random beginning. That's how, that's how I like to do it. So. Random beginnings. That's a story by <laughs> John T. Farberknocker. Farberknocker. Yeah. Love that guy. Yeah. <laughs> Not made up at all. Yeah. <laughs> Farberknocker. Okay, well, if you guys have read the title of this podcast uh, episode, and you've maybe seen some of the images, or you've gone to the website and read the blog, because you like to know what you're getting into. Uh, well, here's the name, not making hard work so hard to do. And uh, yeah, so we're pretty excited to get into this. We're going to talk a lot about um, kind of the sense of play and having fun doing what you're doing, um, yeah. finding the joy in what you're doing, the things that might be blocking you from finding your joy yeah. in what you're doing. Cause I find that that's usually what the situation is. It's like, what is actually blocking you from enjoying this shit? Totally. And what's stopping you from making progress at it or getting the results you want in the world too? Yeah. Because, um, as we kind of discussed before we even started this podcast, um, I'll, I'll share a little bit about how this actually plays into being persistent and creating options for yourself and creating self-esteem and confidence. Yeah. And so, if you, if you incorporate play and give into your process, you get all these great benefits. And, and this is what we're going to get into. So I'm really excited about it. Cause like often when we start these podcasts, we don't know what kind of benefits necessarily the topic will lay out, but I already know people are going to learn a little bit about how to build confidence. They're going to learn a little bit about building self-esteem. They're going to learn how to build some persistence. They're actually going to learn how to enjoy whatever work they're doing. They're going to be able to work harder because they'll enjoy it more and it won't feel like harder work. They're going to be able to remove blocks. I mean, this, this is a great episode because we actually can for once (laughs) (laughs) promise some good things like knowing Seriously. You can promise some good things. I, I actually feel very confident that we can promise some perspective shifts around these areas. Yeah. And, and, um, I think that that's kind of cool because I mean, there will be an exploratory element. I'm sure we'll discover some things. Yeah. I have no idea where it will ultimately go, but some of the things that I'm definitely going to make sure we hit on are, you know, uh, on confidence, uh, self-esteem, persistence, um, enjoying the hard work, you know, not, not even really even feeling like it's hard work, making it feel like it's easy work. Yeah. Well, everyone else looks at you and going, man, you're such a hard worker. Let me give you an example. Example away in less than three weeks, Evan, I will have written for five years, every single day, never missed a single day in five years for 30 minutes minimum every single day. So I've written books that are thousands of pages, books that are thousands of pages. Yeah. I've written scripts. I wrote a script in two days, you know, last, right. Mm-hmm. That was my last thing. The thing is, is people say like, you're such a hard worker. You're so persistent. Like I don't do that like you do. And I was like, the thing is, is for me, writing is playful. Yeah. It's fun. I can't at this point, And I know like someone could read my work and say, well, that's crap. But 
I honestly can't do it wrong anymore. It's yeah. all play. It's all, to me, it's all exploration. It's all a window of discovery. Yeah. So it's fun because the thing is, is like, it has, it has become a, a time in my day that is just for me, that is filled with a certain sense of joy. And people say, Oh, you write every day. I couldn't write for half an hour. I couldn't even write for half an hour. You know, yeah. I couldn't even, I couldn't do that every day for a week, but for me, I do it every day all the time. But the thing is, is to me, it's not that hard of work. Yeah. And I have confidence with it. Obviously, you know, this I have self-esteem with writing. I've written countless different styles of scripts. I've written true stories, personal dramas, sci-fi movies, action movies, crime thrillers. You know, I, I have a lot of options on what I can do now. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is it's confidence, persistence, self-esteem. All this comes out of a sense of not dredging like what I'm doing, but like actually having fun and playing and not not being able to really do it wrong, kind of just yeah. being like, I'm going to try writing this today or I'll try writing. Well, that. I mean, that's, that's one of the big things for me as far as creative process and, and, and enjoying it more is, is not putting so much on it, you know, because like in your, in your coming on to five years of, of writing every single day, you know, you're not, you're not trying to write you know, necessarily like the most profound novel that in, in of the last decade or a hundred years or something like right. you're, you're just writing, you know, and when you start to place, Oh, it's gotta be some type of, it has to have this effect. Hmm. It has to have this result. It has to have, you know, it has to be brilliant. You know, when you, when you stop putting so much onto it, and you just allow to yourself to engage with it, then it becomes more play. Mm. Um, and I think this heads into sort of what we were talking about that kind of led into us picking this as a topic, but it's this black and white, right and wrong thing to do. And just to add another example, um, into the situation, like with your writing and as I've mentioned in the last few times and people who've listened earlier, like I've played guitar for, you know, like 16 17 years or something like that. And I, I've always liked the idea of writing songs and writing music and, and, and creating in that way, but always had such a difficult time doing it. And we were talking today and I just like had a realization as to why that was and why now I'm actually kind of able to do it hmm. for, I feel for the first time actually really being able to do it. And it has very much to do with this whole thing of of not putting so much onto it. Certainly I, is the goal to create beautiful music? Of course it is. That goes without saying, of course I want to write beautiful music. I'm not trying to write shitty music. Mm -hmm. I want to create beautiful music, but there's so much of that, which is not in my control Mm -hmm. as to whether it's something that is necessarily beautiful or not. I mean, I can judge for myself if I think it sounds beautiful in some regard, but I don't really know. And part of the issue that I had before, whenever I tried to write something was that, yeah, like I was, you know, even though I did have a legitimate interest in writing music, the, the way I was going about it, my perception on it was like, was, was me writing for like this sort of invisible, you know, fictional person in my mind who might listen to it at some point in time. So I tried to, everything I tried to write was 
I tried to be really complicated with it. I tried to be really clever with the lyrics. I ended up hating the fuck out of it. I didn't even enjoy the process of doing it. Mm. You know, it just became, it just became a, a slog at trying to do it and something I didn't even enjoy. And then you go, well, I don't even like doing this, but now I'm, I'm looking at it without a sense of, Oh, this is, has to come out a certain way. I don't have an idea of some person who is going to listen to it later. It's more so me playing Hmm. like, yes, literally playing, but me playing with, with the process, me playing with music itself, you know, and with sound and, and with poetry and just being like, what, like, Oh, what is this? And, and it's more, um, it's, it's an exploration and I don't know what it's going to be. Hmm. And now it becomes play. Now it's not work. When I, when I sit down to, to work on a song and start monkeying around with something like it's, it's absolute play. Right. You know, sometimes my head tries to creep back in and be like, okay, now we've got to get real serious about this and, and make it a, make it a masterpiece, which, I mean, I think we've had a, we did a discussion on that before. It's like about trying to, when you consciously go in to try and make a masterpiece, like you've kind of doomed yourself to fail. Totally. That's the black and white thinking, you know, it's either a masterpiece or it's a piece of shit. Mm. You know, that's the black and white thinking that we're talking about because people get caught in this, like, well, if it's not a masterpiece, then it can only be a piece of shit. It's like, well, no, it could be a little bit of both. (laughs) Yeah. There's this massive spectrum between masterpiece and total piece of crap, you know, total piece of shit, whatever you want to call it. I mean, and so the thing is, is that what, what I wanted to bring up, and I think what you're kind of hinting at here is the window. There's a, there's a spectrum. It's a window. You have a space in which you can kind of land, you know, it's like if you take grade school, right? Like here's the thing you can say, you get a C minus you pass. If you get a, if you get an A plus you're top of the class, but you have between a C minus and an A plus. If your goal is only to pass through the course, then all you need is a C minus who gives a shit. doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, but if your goal is say to get into college or university and they need a certain GPA, well, your window is between maybe a B or a B minus or a B plus and an A plus. So your window changes, right? If your window is to get into college, but say not university, well in Canada, it works like university is the highest college is a little lower, different in the States, but whatever. Say you're getting to a, a medium level college or whatever, not like, uh, the top, well, your window might actually just be between graduate high school and get like a, up to a B plus, because after that you're going to university and you don't really care. So your window is different. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And like art is the same way. Like we have windows and like, if your point is to like really screw with the teacher and give them a hard time, your window is between a C minus or a D and an F because really you're trying to like, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is that we need to give ourselves room and, and, and a window in which you can do something. Yeah. If it's too precise, it becomes a problem and precision is good, but like precision to me is an editing thing, not a creative thing. So like when I write a script, like I'm, I'm doing another draft, it'll be the fourth draft and the fifth draft this week that I'm working on. I'm working on more precision stuff now, but like when I first wrote the script, it was not about necessarily being precise. It was much more about being creative. And I had a window of opportunity in which I could kind of do it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, and, and also, um, uh, this was something we talked about kind of coming in, into the conversation as well Is like it, part of that leaving room is it's leaving room for your work, but it's leaving room for yourself to be human mm-hmm. within it all. And, and also because in, in my experience, like the, the cr- creative process is, is not a stuck thing. Like it's something that's evolving and shaping as you're doing it. Right. Like it's revealing itself. It's like, it's, it's, it's moving, you know? So it's like, it is, it's a spectrum of something. It's like, it's like when you create a piece of work, it's like, you know, we're all familiar with like sort of color scales, right? And it's like saying like, no, for this to be masterpiece, it's gotta be like, it's gotta be, it's gotta be Royal blue. This has gotta be Royal blue. This thing that I'm doing, it's gotta be Royal blue. And then you don't hit Royal blue. Instead you land on some sort of a shade of like turquoise or something like that. And you go, fuck, Mm. it's not Royal blue. And when you put it that way, it sounds totally absurd because like, well, what's wrong with turquoise? Yeah. I I prefer turquoise to Royal blue, to be honest with you. Right. But it's like, that's kind of how the creative process kind of lands. You think it's going one way and then it kind of takes you over here but you've got to be open and willing to do that Hmm. when you're so stuck on, yeah, like black and white thinking of, of, of right and wrong, and you haven't given yourself any room, then where's the play supposed to be occurring, right? Where does the play happen? There's no play. There's no relationship that's going on with your work. Hmm. It's just like, it becomes a, a tactical thing to be executed. And I don't know, maybe for some people that turns their crank, it doesn't really turn mine necessarily. But it's also to me, it's like, that's, again, that's not in my experience, how creation happens. It's not, it's, yeah. it's, it's, to me, it is a relationship with whatever you, whatever it is with, it's a relationship with creation. creation. Well, let, let, let me give an example. Let's say that you're a, a, a runner, like a sprinter, hundred meter sprinter. Okay. And, or whatever you could do anything. You ra- you race horses. Doesn't really matter. You race something cars. Yeah. I don't, it doesn't matter. But here's the thing. If you knew before the race even began, well, let's say the goal is of the race is to win. Yeah. But you knew before you even ran the race that you wouldn't win, that there's no chance you will win. You just will not win. Even if you're the fastest, even if you're the best, no matter how much training you do, no matter how much you do, you will not win the race but you knew this before the race even started. In fact, you knew you wouldn't even place in the first top three. In fact, you wouldn't even place in the top five. In fact, you would finish possibly last or near the bottom. Yeah. Would you still race? Now, the only reason why you would race at that point is because you enjoy the race enough to race regardless of the end result. The problem is with this black and white thinking, it's like either win or it's bust. And so the thing is, is that if we know ahead of time what the result will be and our only value is about the result, we won't do things. So like, like when people say they can't write and I I work with people with writing, I say, well, it has to be a masterpiece. It has to be this great thing right off the bat. You kind of already know it won't be right now you're pretty sure it won't be. In fact, because you've never written anything before and how could it be? You're not trained enough and maybe it will be, but it'll be a fluke to you. And so you can't really see how it would be. So you're going, I don't want to write because there's no point. But 
if the only goal is to get the result, you won't do it. So the thing is, is that with play, you have to be willing to finish anywhere at the end of this race, but enjoy the process of actually racing and learning through racing what could happen. And here's the wonderful thing. You might actually still win. You might still place, but the thing is, is you got to make it not about the placing. And so like, you see, the thing is, is if, if, if you were going into a boxing match, let's do this, a boxing match or MMA fight, and you knew you would lose the fight, would you fight? A lot of people wouldn't because it would be the dumb choice, but this is art. Art. Sometimes we have to go into art and we have to lose, but some days you'll lose some days you'll win. But if you already knew what was going to happen, guaranteed most of the days that you knew you won't do it. You would only work on the days you knew you could win. Well, it's like, you know, you, to illustrate this point, Rocky, Rocky, sure. The movie Rocky. Brilliant. Totally. One of the great sort of cinema stories of all time. Everybody knows if you don't know Rocky, Oh my God, (laughs) spoiler alert. Here it comes. He loses. Rocky loses the fight at the end after everything that you've watched happen. And you're like, what? He lost. But the whole point of that movie is like, yeah, he lost the fight, but he won at life. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, he won still. He won at his end. own personal. He goal. wanted his own personal in his own personal story. Like there was, there was great triumph in there for him. You know, that was, that's the story. So it's like, but the story is about going the distance. Yeah. It's about hanging in there for all the rounds until the end and not getting knocked out by this, basically this, this champion fighter that he had no chance yeah. and no business being in the ring with putting, putting himself out there. Yeah. You know, with everything he had. Right. And he was brilliant even though he lost. Yeah. He was still brilliant. He right. gave like, that was like for in, in the, as the movie terms go and like the world that was created around it, it's like, it was, it was like the fight of the century totally that this guy gave, right. Even though he was outclassed, <laughs> he was like, you know, not as well trained and all of this blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, well, okay. So like, you know, I want to bring this back to some of the other things that I promised we'd deliver. <laughs> Okay. So think about con- got time. <laughs> think about self-esteem and confidence in relation to this. Self-esteem is options, right? So it's how many options can I, can, do I have to achieve the same goal? So if you only have one option to achieve the goal, then if that option doesn't work out, you have no self-esteem left. Your tank is on empty if you have one option, right? But if you have many, many options, you have like a full tank because if one option doesn't work, you have another option and another option, another option. You're not out of gas. Yeah. So you have more self-esteem. You have more go, you have more give. Self-esteem also creates persistence. It creates a sense of like, I'm going to keep trying at this and failure doesn't phase me because I realize that I'm getting closer and closer to finding the way. And so what, what you want to do is you don't want to have to create a masterpiece. Cause if it's only a masterpiece or bust, if it's only win or bust, you have very low self-esteem. Yeah. So you need to be like, this could be a masterpiece or it could be really, 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 really good. Or it could be really, really good. Or it could be really good. Or it could be good. Yeah. Or it could be like, okay. 
or it could be like kind of okay, or it could be like shitty okay, or it could be like, <laughs> or you know, it could be total yeah. shit. But like, basically, you, you you create so many more options. You're like, it's not so much pressure about writing. It's not so much pressure about creating. Yeah. So so that's first. That's that's self esteem. Now here's how self esteem relates to confidence. Confidence is this, and a lot of people don't know how to define it. But I'll give you the definition. Confidence is really truly this the belief you can do something without doubt. The only reason why people don't have confidence is because they have more doubt than they do belief in being able to get it done. That Mm. is it. But if you have many options, don't you realize you have much more belief you can do it? If you have very few options, you have less belief, more doubt, more, what if this doesn't work out, right? So confidence and self-esteem are very highly related. They're very highly related to options and options surprisingly, and we talked about this in the mastery are about lowering your expectations when it comes to this stuff. It's about creating room for it to be like, okay, I hope this is a masterpiece, but as long as it's good, (laughs) as long as it's okay, as long as it's not total shit, then I'm at least winning because yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the window, right? And then as you get better at it, you can start to refine the window, make it smaller because now it becomes like, it's, really, 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 really good. But these little couple things, or it's a masterpiece, but it's just missing a couple things here. Like when yeah. you, when, you know, when you get to the top of your game, your window, you can, you you're going to, you know, what's going to be really good. Like at this point, when I write something, I'm not going to say like, I'm writing masterpieces yet, but like anytime I write something, it's really good. It's just a matter of how really good it is. Yeah. It's not like very rarely I'm going to write a piece of shit, but I'm still willing to write a piece of shit but there's a certain kind of, I've done it enough where it kind of, it's hard to write a piece of shit now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the thing is, is like when you start though, it's really easy to write a piece of shit, but you got to go through that piece of shit stage so you can get to the The thing is, is that you might write a piece of shit and not know that you wrote a piece of shit, especially in the early stage. And then you look back and you're like, this is a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, and that, and you know, and that's kind of, that's okay. And also you might write a masterpiece and not realize you wrote a masterpiece. Yeah. Absolutely. So you don't know. Right. And the other thing is, is like, who are we to, to even determine what it is when we're creating it? Yeah. But my, my, I just want to bring it back to the, I just want to hammer this point home. Confidence, persistence, self-esteem, all very much related to having a window and room and not being so tied up in the results, but understanding that your result could be a lot of different things or the way you go about it could be in many different ways. Yeah. And that will give you self-esteem, confidence, and a sense of persistence. Well, I think, I mean, all the confidence is about putting your focus on, on the things that you, you do actually have control over putting your focus on the things that you actually have interest in, like in your curiosity Hmm. about something you were saying something about, you're referencing, I think the Alan Watts talk that you were, that you had gotten into that was about like curiosity and self-improvement and this whole concept of self-improvement. But it's like, when you are creating something, when you are, when you are painting or making music or writing or what have you, when you come into it with, with presence and focus and genuine interest as to where it's going to go without a sense of knowing where it's going to go or where you think it should go or it's supposed to go, blah, blah, blah. When you come in with that, everything becomes so much more playful. Everything like it's part of what gives you that room. Mm. And when you have that room, your confidence goes up 
Like it's, it's a weird thing. You know, we're, I think we're often misled that it's like, oh yeah, like you've got to, like, you got to set your goals like way out here, like so crazy and, and just deliver on it. You know, I think that there's rare, there's rare instances of people who, who actually thrive in that, you know, like they, they can set like a goal that is just insane. And that pressure is sort of where they play. Mm. Right. Like that's, but I think for most of us, that pressure is not necessarily where we play. We play when there's a sense of space, right. And a sense of freedom. And when we're able to put things into perspective and not be trying to somehow with conscious will and effort, make this thing into a masterpiece or a brilliant work that everybody will applaud for generations to come. It's like, like there's so much stress and there's, and, and there's no play that's going to be occurring anymore. Right. Because now it's business. Now this shit is serious. Right. And now you're taking it seriously and you're taking yourself so seriously and creativity does not necessarily play in there. It doesn't really play in that serious place. Like no, it's yeah. just like, it's because you've given it, there's no room for it, for creativity to come and play because it's like, it's gotta be a thing. And so it's like, almost like creativity just kind of like steps aside and watches you struggle. Well, even think right? about that word serious. And I know we, you know, Alan Watts has this talks probably more than one on, uh, you know, being sincere and being serious, but think about the word serious. You know, what does the word serious mean? Like serious is like, if we don't do this, there'll be major consequences. That's what serious yeah. is, right? So when we, when we get too serious, the, what, what are we doing? We're focusing on the bad consequences that will happen if we don't execute, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that sometimes there is a time for seriousness, you know, there is a time to be serious, but it's pretty rare. And it's not like something we need to walk around with. It's like, especially as adults, we're so serious about shit. Oh yeah. <laughs> but like we can be sincere and that's a great, you know, I, I like his distinction about that is like, you know, it's important to you. Like, like, you know, be real about it, put all of yourself into it, but like, not because of some bad consequence that will happen if you don't, but because you value doing it. And the most recent talk that he, you know, he had talked about, and I I really love this and he kind of mentioned it, but he was talking about how self-improvement is kind of pointless because here's the thing, hear me out. And, And he can explain it better than I did, but it's kind of pointless because basically if you're just curious about something, if you're just interested in something, you'll go out and learn all about it. You'll find out about it. You'll practice it. You'll try it. You'll do it. You'll get good at it, but you'll get good at it because in spite of yourself, because you just wanted to know more and you, and you were fascinated with it. And it isn't hard work really, because you just wanted to, you know, and so self-improvement is like, you want to get better for the sake of what? you know? And so the problem is, is that he points out the fact that we don't know what's best for us. You know, we, we very rarely know what's best for us. So when we try to improve ourselves, we think that improving ourselves will actually make things better, but we don't know because sometimes the way we improve ourselves may actually hurt us. 
he, he used an example and many others I'm sure, but there's one that I really remember like DMT, they used to put on plants. Well, they found out it, it used to help keep the insects off, but now they found out or well, DDT, no, DDT, DDT. I think that's it. Yeah. Or DMT. No, no, no. 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 Uh, DMT is like a, a drug or something. drug. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. DDT. That must be a DDT. Well, DDT, that was like a pesticide. Yeah, I, a know pesticide. What, I know what, I know what you're talking about. Causing thing. Yeah. 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 Oh, DEET. DET no. or DEET. No. It's in bug spray and stuff like that, right? I don't know. It's not in bug spray. It's oh, okay. something used to put on. It's a pesticide. You used to put on plants. Okay, yeah. It's cancer it, causing. Oh, yeah. Then it is DDT. D- DDT, yeah. Okay, DDT. They, they haven't used that for years. But. Yeah, they haven't used it for years. But at the time they used it, they thought they were doing a good thing. Yeah. They thought it was creating an improvement. They didn't realize it was causing cancer. And he basically. And killing, killing animals. Yeah. And stuff too. It was killing like all kinds of like uh, uh, birds of prey. Totally. Like hawks and it was creating all sorts of problems yeah. and it's actually was causing humans problems. Yeah. But here's the thing. We don't know at the time when we're doing something, if it's going to create problems later when yeah. we're trying to always improve the situation. So like the point is, is that if you do things because you're interested in them, because you're curious about them, because you want to, because you, you like finding out about it, then you will improve yourself by default, but in a very natural, authentic way, in a way that won't be contrived because you won't even realize you're doing it. Like, but when you try to improve yourself, when you decide I need to improve myself this way, because I need to be this way to like be better. You don't necessarily know what the effects are of making yourself better somewhere that that actually might be causing you a problem because very rarely do we know what's best for us. Like m- many of us would say like, I'd love to win the lottery, but did you know that so many people who win the lottery end up more in debt than they've ever been? Bef- bef- like then yeah. they lose all their money and they get into r- all sorts of trouble mo- a lot of the time, yeah. I, you know? And, and the thing is, is that if we get what we want, we actually can often make our life a lot worse. And so like, it's, it's kind of the thing is, is that I want to bring this into the conversation because it's a really important thing. Like play comes from curiosity and wonder and interest and, and a a fascination with discovery. But when we go from self-improvement, self-improvement is just hard work. Yeah. And it's like, it's, um, kind of self-flatulation. It's like, uh, you know, like, like, and when is self-improvement ever finished? Here's the other problem with this whole thing of like, when you begin down the road of self-improvement, you actually, and I know there's probably someone who's like, Oh, this isn't true. But listen, I've done all the self-improvement. I've gone down that road. You, you, you do enough of it. You, you're going to hit a point and everybody I've ever seen who's gone very far with it. You always hit a certain point where you go, you only need, you only discover you need more self-improvement. That's all that happens. Yeah. You, you know, and you, and then here's the other thing. If your self-improvement doesn't actually translate to joy in your life and it doesn't actually translate to actually producing and creating and doing and living and playing more then what good is it anyway? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It becomes this weird sort of race with yourself to, arrive somewhere with yourself and just be like, yes, I've improved to the point that I can function in the world the way that I, I should, or think I should like, it's, it becomes a really weird sort of explanation for the whole thing at some point, Mm -hmm. right? It becomes so ambiguous as to 
your reasoning for doing it, you know, like, and I'm not to say it's like, it's, I think it's, it's awesome to, um, to learn and to grow and to be aware, um, and to be consciously learning. But yeah, the, the whole idea of sort of self-improvement is kind of a strange one that one one of the kind of stranger that, that sounds really nice on paper, right? It sounds like it's a really, Oh, that's a, that's a really good thing that you're doing. You know, like you're, you're working on yourself, you're trying to improve yourself and it's just like, okay, but yeah, like for, for what you're trying to improve yourself to do what to, to be what, like it's, uh, like there's yeah, like, to, what, to like what how, ends, yeah. to what end and, and really, if you look at it, like, if you look at it, like, okay. So I, if you look at my, uh, screen, my bookshelf, right, you'll probably find that there's a good, like 20 or 30 screenwriting books, probably another 20 or 30 filmmaking books, another 20 or 30 acting books. You know, when, when I bought all those books, um, I wasn't necessarily reading those books to be the best screenwriter ever. I really wanted to learn how to screenwrite. And my theory was I was just so, I was like, there's so many books. I need to read them all because I need to understand how all these other writers see writing and I need to see what's common and what's different. And I figured what I would do is I would read many, many books and I would look and see if I could find things that are the same between all of them. And then I would try to see if, if any of them had little nuggets that I could find that could, right. I could add to my game and I could, you know, make the best, like, you know, cause I, cause I, you know, but in many ways I wasn't necessarily trying to be the best screenwriter. I was curious about being great at screenwriting. Same with, same with, you know, going down the act and going down the filmmaking, but I'd say writing's the one I pursued probably the hardest with that yeah. curiosity. And to me, like I used to read books, like just all the time I was reading, 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 and people were like, wow, you read a lot. And the thing was, to me, it wasn't hard work to read because the reading was just curiosity. Yeah. But like, once I start making like reading like a chore and I've tried this before, reading becomes a pain in the ass because now it's like, well, I need to read because I said I would read and like, I'm doing my reading because I need to read because I need to be better. And like, I need to be whatever. It's like, if you have something you're curious about, no one has to tell you to do it. Like I found this out with sports no one needs to tell you to practice your sport. If you love your sport, you'll just find time to practice. You'll just do it. Like I used to play soccer very seriously. I love soccer. I would just walk around the house with a tennis ball, just dribbling it around all the time. No one had to tell me to do that. It wasn't until later. I remember coaches were saying like, you guys should do what Brandon's doing. Go go walk around your house with the, because I was so good at dribbling. Go walk around your house with the tennis ball. But to me, I, I did it because I enjoyed it. Yeah you know, and it turned out that I became a really good dribbler. I didn't become a good dribbler because I went out and went, I need to become a good dribbler. I became a good dribbler in spite of myself, which is my, which is the point I want to kind of give people is like, when you play, when you do what you normally are interested in, what you are naturally interested in, you will improve by default in ways that you don't even realize. Yeah. And then I, and then I want to say this, sometimes it's good to just practice a skill. Yeah. Sometimes it's good to be like, to recognize that, Hey, like I want to be good at this thing. So I'm going to start practicing it specifically, but do it because you want to be good at it. Not because you think it will improve you as a person like that, like the self-development thing. 
if it's not focused on an interest on something you're passionate about on a, on a, on a specific thing, if it becomes this general, I like personal growth, I'm going to grow as a person. Like, what is that? You know what I mean? But like, if it comes about something specific, like I'm going to get really a lot better at my communication skills with people that doesn't make you, by the way, a better person that just makes you better at communication skills. But people kind of like to do this blanket, like personal growth thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and then like, like if you go down such a vague road, I think it becomes, um, it becomes something where it's endless. You can never achieve anything. You never experience real rewards because you never know if you've ever really grown. It's too vague. You're not specific enough. You become kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, and you don't know how to take your skills, your personal growth and actually relate them back to life. But if you do things because you're just genuinely interested in things, you'll acquire real masterful skills in things. Mm -hmm. And then what'll happen is those masterful skills will come together and they'll come together in a unique way, which will give you something really cool, but you will have done it in spite of yourself, not because you went out and said like, I'm going to be the best at this necessarily. And usually in my experience, when someone becomes really great at something, it's a combination of many skills they didn't realize they put together. It wasn't like, like very rarely is there someone who's like, people go like, um, I don't know, like, okay, there's those people you go, well, this is the best guitarist, right? It's like, are they the best guitarist simply because they played guitar or are they best guitarist because of things that they were interested in in their life? Like was their guitar also informed by the way they did relationships and friendships by the way they, um, pursued, um, even listening to music and looking at music. Like, yeah, I guarantee that if you actually looked at their process, the practicing of the guitar was only a tiny sliver element. And it seems like it's the most important of the whole spectrum. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I wanted to point out is that like, I think we think that there's like this, I don't know, we're taught to believe that there's some way, but it's, it's a way that no one knows because we do it in spite of ourselves. It's our own way. Yeah. 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 There's, yeah, there is, there is no one one direction. There is no one path that it's like, Oh yeah, this path has been, was laid out by this person at this point in time. And if you, if you walk that exact same path, you will have the same results. Like it's just, it's just not the way you can certainly might touch on some parts of that path for sure. But your path is not going to be the same way. And you have to allow room for that to be rather than trying to control every step of your journey every step of, of what you've embarked on. Well, you know, if there like, was one way we would just, and how system, boring we would systematically create the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. How boring Yeah, we like, we, the, there would be no art. It would if, be not special anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like everything would, would yeah, just be the same over and over. And that's, that sucks. Totally. That's total shit. Um, that's why you can't know the answer. That's like the thing about play is like play is, trying stuff out and not really knowing what will happen with it. Yeah. You know, you have to have a certain sense of flexibility, a window that it could be something other than what you think yeah. it will be to move, to shift, to, yeah. to shape, to, you know, 
use the wind as it's like, you know, like sailing, you know, like you've got to use the wind that's there. You don't control the wind. Mm -hmm. You know, you can control your sails and you can try and make the best use of what's of what the wind is giving to you. Yeah. But you can't be certain of what's going to happen. No. You know, even like, cause I've done some sailing and stuff in my life and it's like, you can, you can sometimes, you, know, you can take weather reports, you can take things that you generally sort of know about how, like how the wind is going to come off the land or how it's going to come through a, through the channel or something like that. Like there's some things that you can say, okay, this is, this is often what happens, but it's not always what happens, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, and what do you do? Like, you can't just bemoan yourself because the wind decided to change what you hoped it would do. Mm-hmm. You know, you're out there and you're still capable of making adjustments mm-hmm. and ma- making use of what is there. Right. And it will still be an amazing journey. Well, I mean, and look at like, you know, let's take your, your analysis too. Like, so take the weather, you know, weather people predict a percentage of how likely it will be sunny or, or rainy or snowy or whatever. Yeah. Um, they, they have a percentage of the likelihood that it will be. And also they can only give you a prediction really within a certain number of days. Like they, they're not able to actually tell you a month from now what it will be like in a month from now. They can give you a guesstimation based on the season and, but then they won't, they still won't know. And so like art is kind of like that. Like when you get closer to the final thing, you can get more precise about, Oh, well, will it be sunny, cloudy, rainy, snowy? But when you're farther away, you, you're, you're, likelihood of your guests being right is very up in the air. Yeah. You know, so, um, the thing is, is that we, we need to not like need to know the answer so badly. Like you, when you plan a, say a party, say you plan like an event that's six weeks in advance and say it's an outdoor event, you're banking on the fact that maybe it's summer. So or something like that. So summer should be sunny, but sometimes people have weddings and it rains on their weddings, but they didn't know that had they known it would rain on their wedding, they wouldn't do it. And the thing is, is that we, if you spend your entire life being like, my life is canceled. If I don't get exactly the circumstances I want, then you don't do life. Yeah. But you know, you scheduled your wedding we don't know what the weather's going to be like that day. Yeah. We suspect it's summer. We suspect it'll be sunny. Hopefully it is. But at the same time, what are you guys going to do? You're going to call off the wedding if a few raindrops fall? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so the thing is, is like, we need to treat our art the same way. Sometimes it rains on your parade and you just got to deal with it. Yeah. You know, but the thing is, if you don't, if you don't cancel life for not getting the result you want, you end up, you end up doing life. And like yeah. doing art requires a certain amount of like not being in control and having like, well, it could rain. If it rains, we'll do this. I mean, I've had film shoots where we had to shoot outside sunny every single day until we got to the film shoot. It's like, oh my God, it's going to rain on our film shoot. And you're a few days before and you're starting to try to figure out, do we move our day? Do we do this or whatever? Yeah. And I've shot on a shoot where it torrentially rained during our shoot. Yeah. It honestly made it better. 
And like, it was a, it was a, a pain in the ass figuring out how we we're going to get around it and what we were going to do. Yeah. Cause you know, it was Indian. We didn't have all the gear, you know, the rain gear to protect, but we, we figured it out and it actually added to the show. So like the thing is, is that, y- you know, there's a certain kind of like, I want to go back to that boxing MMA fight analogy. If, if you know, you're going to lose the fight, are you still going to do the fight? If you aren't going to do the fight, Rocky's never made right? Yeah. Rocky was essentially a, an Oscar winning movie, which points out the fact that it isn't about winning. It's actually about showing up. Yeah. And so like, I think that it's a lot more fun to show up and be like, well, anything can happen here, but I'm showing up and I'm showing up because this is what I want to do, you know? Yeah. Right. So, okay. Let's, 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 let's just redirect this to touch. Cause I, I want to go back to our title about the hard work thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like, let's kind of talk about how this actually changes, um, kind of hard work, you know, like, and makes hard work, not quite as hard. Like, you know, what makes hard work not so hard to do when you do life this way, when you create a window, when you create a sense of play, when you're not focused so much on self-improvement and results, like, I know that our audience was probably already starting to put the pieces together, but let's kind of, let's discuss. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. like this, and, uh, trying to make a mat or making a masterpiece or it's shit Mm -hmm. or yeah. Um, it's hard work to make a masterpiece. Yeah. But it's not so hard work to make a piece of shit. No. So if you have a window (laughs) and you know, and so often you hear, you know, the story of people who become, you know, they have this massive success that seemingly came out of nowhere Hmm. and people are telling them like this, this is a masterpiece and they say, it's like, we were just creating something that we, we loved. We had no idea, you know, so often that's no idea. We had no idea. We never thought this could happen, Mm. you know? And I think that that is very telling. It is so much about what makes, what makes our work hard or when our work becomes hard, it has entirely to do with our how we are looking at what we're doing. And I think that's what this whole thing is about. Like working, working, how to work hard, (laughs) how making hard work or not making hard work so hard to do. Yes. That's so that's what makes hard work. not so so hard to do. Yeah. And, and our title is kind of, you know, it, it is what we're talking about. It is just kind of a fun, funnily kind of like it, it is a bit, misleading in a playful way. Huh? (laughs) Um, but just in the sense that it's like, we're, we're talking about, cause it, we want to kind of challenge this whole idea of hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, this, I, this idea that most of us have about what hard work looks like. Yeah. Um, or what it feels like or, and what, or what it the feels like. It yeah. Is. The experience of hard work. Cause we think of hard work. It's just like, ah, oh, like, you know, I, I think of stuff like grin and bear it. Yeah. You know, like put your head down and suck just it up, suck it up. You yeah. know, like it's all of these things and you go like, Oh, like these are not play words. <laughs> no, you know, this is this, like, those are torturous words. Yeah. Those are, I'm in pain this sucks. Why do we feel the need to have our work be that way? 
especially when that is not when we even create our best work. So I think that the first thing about this whole thing about hard work, it's like, it's about awareness. So it's shining a bit of a light on this whole concept of, especially within art, about how this shit does, you know, maybe hard work, like for digging ditches real fast. Yeah. Hard work, but you know, writing a song, hard work, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what we want to challenge here is like, it doesn't have to be hard. And the things that are making it hard is usually our outlook. It's usually our perception on what we're doing. Mm. Um, so, so much of this conversation has been about right and wrong, black and white, not giving ourselves room. So it stands to reason you're saying it's like the idea is give yourself room. Stop trying to create the masterpiece curiosity coming in with genuine curiosity. And I don't know if that's something we can teach people to do from us just sitting here talking to each other. Um, but we can at least sort of direct in some way of something to be looking for. Because to me, the thing that I learned about all of that I've learned about this and, and as I related with starting to write music for myself is that it's like, I'm doing this as an actual exploration of music out of actual, just genuine curiosity. And it becomes so much fun because it's not something that I have to do anymore. It's not something where I have all of this pressure on me to create something brilliant. It's something that I'm just in a relationship with. It's something that I'm just engaged with. I'm curious about, I'm exploring it and I'm seeing what comes out and that's not all on me. Hmm. It's not all about me. You know, it's about this thing that's actually kind of leading me. I'm just trying to like keep up as best I can Mm. with where I feel like I'm being led. And then it's like, if it's not so great, then I'm like, well, okay, whatever. That was what it was. No skin off of my back. I enjoy, I enjoyed the process of it. I enjoyed going, going on the ride and seeing where it went. Right. Like, and it's, and it doesn't mean that I'm just completely, that I'm completely being blown by the wind. It means that like, yeah, I had a direction, you know, there was something there and I followed it. I was heading in this way and it pushed me this way and it kind of pushed me that way. And I used what it was where, like used that sort of where I was being pushed. And I tried to put my sails out as it were to catch that, Hmm. to take me into a certain, and you know, maybe I didn't end up quite where I thought I was going to at the start, but that doesn't necessarily mean that where I ended up was a bad place. Hmm. Maybe the place I ended up was better than the place I was, I thought I was heading. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's letting go of so much shit about being good and being right and having to control this. And, and like, there's just, it's, it's all a bunch of garbage that just pollutes our, our process. It pollutes our ability to, to play. Mm -hmm. And I was mentioning this to you before it's like, and, and I know I'm not the first person to have said this and I'm pretty sure I heard it somewhere at some point, but it just recently came to me. It was like, or came back to me is that play is like the divine action of the universe. Play is the action of the universe. 
you know, and we were talking about how you look at kids, you know, you look at, or like even from when like newly borns are, are starting to, you know, few months in and whatever, and they're starting to crawl around and able to do a few things on their own. They don't have to be carried everywhere. What do they do? They start playing with stuff immediately. Mm -hmm. They see, they see shapes and colors and, and you know, some of those are toys, but it's just everything in the world and they start touching it and putting it, everything in their mouths too. Right. Mm -hmm. Like they just start like they're exploring and they're, and they're touching, tasting, they're playing in every sense of the word, you know, like they're playing with all of their senses. Mm -hmm. And we start to lose that as we get older. I think we lose a lot of our sense of, of that kind of play with what we're doing. We stop using our senses and we start just using our head to try and think our way through all of it. And it's like, that's, it's, I think, and somebody has also shared with me once that like that our minds are just another sense. It's just another way that we actually sense our way through the world. Just another one, Hmm. just like our eyes, our ears, our mouths or touch. It's just another sense, Hmm. but we put so much importance on it and our heads can just like, has a, it just has its own opinion on stuff. It doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean it's the best. We just seem to value it beyond maybe where, (laughs) where it should go. Mm -hmm. Well, the mind's a, the mind is a tricky thing. It, it does a lot of magic tricks you know, just start learning about cognitive dissonance and you'll understand what I mean. Because mm. cognitive dissonance is a wonderful little trick the mind does to talk us out of all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, it's, uh, there, there's a lot of weight put on the mind, you know, right now in, in our, in our time. And it's, you know, and it's a wonderful thing. We have this, like, it's like we have this wonderful tool and we're like, oh, this tool is so great. Let's just, only rely on it. And so things like, you know, uh, senses of, you know, touch and feel like, like smell, taste, all of this stuff be kind of, kind of become really just slaves to the brain. You know what I mean? Slaves to the mind. And the thing is, is like, you know, it's interesting because the reason why people kill off curiosity and like, this is a big thing in philosophy. And I talk about philosophy a lot on this podcast. Philosophy really, if you're doing it properly, basically is the, is the, in my opinion, at least is the education that teaches you what you do not know. Mm. Most education teaches you what you know. And the problem is, is once you know something, you no longer are curious about it. So I think the problem with our adulthood and our culture is we're indoctrinated into education systems that tell us that we know stuff. And so once we know, there's no point being curious about it, but we don't realize the price of curiosity. We don't realize the price that knowing or believing we know is the problem. And like, you know, you were talking about that other video, that Ted talk where the new scientific method, the scientific method of, okay, we know that it's not this, not that we know what it is, but we know it's not this. That's really more accurate way of of saying something. Yeah. Right? It's like, you, yeah, the way that, um, he had put it was like, we know that it's like the way that scientific method works is like, we know, we know that it's wrong, 
or that it's not wrong yet. Hmm. Cause eventually you hit a point where it's not really, it's, right. it's kind of wrong. And then you make an, an adjustment and you, and then you find it's like, Oh, okay. So that came back. Right. So now you, you, and you continue to work, work it. You continue to cycle it. It's, it was really interesting watching the talk because I learned how much the actual scientific process, like people who are real scientists and, and with what scientists really do, how much it's actually a creative process. It's a, it's a creative process of observation and thinking and understanding, Mm -hmm. but it is very much an art as a certain, because it is, it's an exploration. It's saying like, okay. And it's like kind of this game that's being played. It's definitely a game that's being played now that I think of it, because it's like, okay, you, because it begins with an observation on something. And based on that observation, you come up with like, um, I'm not going to do this all correctly, but it's like observation. Um, and you make a prediction from your observation. It's like, I think that this will do this and you create an experiment. And then that experiment is supposed to validate your prediction. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't validate your prediction, then your observation was somewhat incorrect. And so now you come up based on that observation that you've now had, (laughs) you come up with a new experiment with a new predicted outcome. Yeah. And you see where it goes. So scientists actually get very quite used to being wrong. Yeah. And, 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 and experiments basically really just open the door for more things to be accomplished. And like, like and art is an experiment. It is an experiment. That's like, it is, yeah. it's a science. It, what's that? Art is a science. Like it's yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's, it is an experiment. And the thing is, is like, people like to say, well, arts and sciences are different, but there's an art to science and there's a science to art. Yeah. You know? And the thing is, is that like the art of science is the curiosity is the wonder is the play is the sense of like, what if I mix these two ingredients together? What will happen? What if I mix these three together? What if I take these three things and I put it over here? Like what will happen over here? It's a constant wonder of curiosity and discovery and really neat things happen. But people like to think of science as like, no, it's this very like right, wrong, you know, uh, you know, structured thing. And it's not the best scientists are people who are artistic. They're creative they have imagination. And, and, and you might even argue that the best artists are scientific, that they look at things as like, I'm going to try this riff on my guitar and see what this sounds like. And if I mix it with this chord, what will happen? And then they discover something. And as they they go, that sounds nice together. That was an experiment. And they go, okay, this nice thing sounds good together. I'm going to try this experiment. They try that. They combine that, those two experiments. And like, there's no right or wrong at the end but they discovered something to their ear that works. And the thing with art and what's kind of different about art and science is that art, art is much more subjective. Science is much more objective. And the thing is, is I think what's hard for artists is they want to come up with objective answers. And you, you, you have to begin subjectively. Like, does this resonate with you? And hopefully if it resonates with you, there'll be someone else out there who resonates with as well. Yeah. And I think they also differ in sort of the things that they explore. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's, 
Yeah, they, they kind of explore different things. Yeah, somewhat. maybe for different reasons, too. Yeah, like in some ways, yeah, science is more of an exploration of objectivity, and art is an exploration of subjectivity. That's a good way to but put it. But they have... And, but they actually are very similar in a lot of the ways that it works. The way that the creative process works for both of them is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. It's based on a sense of curiosity. Having sense, cause like, yeah, even while you're talking yeah. with it, I think about when I'm working something out, like, especially in music, you know, I'll, I'll work on, you know, uh, a solo over something and I'll be like, Oh, let me try this. And I'll go, and then I'll hear it. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 that doesn't, doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to maybe have this thing, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. And so you go back and then you do it and it's like, Oh, that worked. And it's very much like, you know, how, how it goes. And then eventually you have something that you put out there and you say, Oh wow, that has an amazing effect, right? It, it subjectively moves you or, mm. or does something for you on an emotional level. Does that mean it's the right way to do it? I don't know. Was that the right combination of chords and lyrics and notes? Like, how do you answer that? There's no answer to that. It's like, how do you, like, is it right? It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. It's the wrong question of, is it right? And it's like, well, how do you know that? Did it, did it do something for you? Well, then there you go. If it didn't, well then, okay, not for you. Right. That's kind of where art comes in. Science doesn't really work that way. It's not like, well, if it's not for you, (laughs) this conclusion, then there you go. Science is more like, well, no, this is actually our pretty best understanding of the world objectively. Right. Yeah. The other thing with art is art doesn't necessarily expect the best to get the best. So for example, like there might be say a switch from two chords on a guitar that are the best switch between two chords. It's the best sounding switch, but just because that is the best sounding switch doesn't mean that every song should use that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like some songs will use something that's a lesser switch. That's a lesser transition. That's a lesser combination of chords, but yet could make a better sounding song to some people. Mm -hmm. And so the thing is, is that that's the nature of art is that it isn't about necessarily doing everything the best or being the best. It's about finding something that has a certain kind of, um, feel for you, a certain kind of sense for you that resonates with you. Yeah. And you know what? So kind of like this whole thing about, um, I wanted to kind of go, and I know I'm kind of like directing this conversation. In no, certain there's ways. something that you want to try and get across. I'm going to try and do it, man. Go for it. Try. Okay. So the thing is, um, let's go back to our friends. We don't need to name anybody, but, um, they, they live in this black and white world. They're always right. Or it's either you're right or you're wrong. And their way is the right way. And every other one's way is not. And they, and people need to do it their way. Otherwise they're not happy. And they live in this world. And so obviously if you listen to the beginning of this conversation, you know what I mean? They have low self-esteem because they have one option. Things have to be their way. And if it's not their way, they're not happy. And 
Um, they, they really have no window. They have no give and no play. People have no room to be human with them. You either do it right or you're wrong. And so, and they have no room to be human with themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And so they have low self-esteem around this. And so then what ends up happening is they've been, you know, we've experienced these people to be quite destructive in their friendships and relationships. You know, people tend to not really like them and get along with them. They tend to push people out of their lives and end relationships and things like that, or friendships. Um, you know, uh, so when, so when we look at this, like, why does anyone ever black and white, right and wrong? Why do they do this? And you mentioned something, and I think it was before the podcast, but it's just easier. And the thing is, is that in a way, yeah, in a way until it's actually harder, it's actually harder. It's way harder, but it seems easier initially. It's because it's, you don't have to think about it. There's no gray area. You just kind of like it works or it doesn't work kind of thing in your mind. But the problem is, is, well, what does it cost you? It costs you your self-esteem. It costs you your confidence, it costs you your friendships, your relationships. It costs you basically taking risks, being creative. It costs you so much yeah. to be thinking black and white, right or wrong. And so, you know, um, I, I think the thing is, is that we, I think why people opt to do the black and white thinking, the black and white mentality, the right wrong mentality is because they feel like initially it's the easier thing to do and they don't have to think so much about everything, but it actually, the consequences are so great that you wouldn't do it if you knew what it was going to cost you. Yeah. Whereas like to be someone who's like, well, I don't really know, but I have like a window. Like, for example, I was saying this to a friend of mine. I said, look, you can if, if one of us is like, if we're like five, 10, 15 minutes max, like early or late, that's kind of our window. You know, we have enough give, but anything out that we know, we've, we know we've made a mistake with each other because, you know, yeah. but so, you know, with some people you have like maybe a five minute window, you know, give or take like five minutes early or whatever, but like, usually it's the late part, right? So like how much give do you, do you give after 20 minutes? some people will still stay. They'll hang out there and they'll be like, well, I'm going to hang out there. You know, after 20 minutes, if someone's late, like my window now is like 20 minutes, I'm definitely considering leaving 25. I'm out. One time I went to a, I went on a date. The person was an hour late. Of course they messaged me a few times to try and be like, Hey, look, I'm late. I'm going to be late, whatever. And I waited a whole hour for them. And I look back at that and I went, you know what? I compromised my integrity about where my window was mm-hmm. an hour late is far too late. You know, I've had people ask me, why did you ever do it? Well, I was in a certain place in my life and I was, you know, whatever I had my reasons, but I look back at it now and I go, that was a mistake on my part. You know, after 20, 25 minutes, even 15, I needed to consider, yeah, but I mean, it's not even really a mistake, right? Because well, no, but it, was I learned. Ex- it was, yeah, exactly. It was an experience that like, that taught you something about yourself, about where your limits are, right? Like it's, um, one of my old acting teachers, uh, Larry Silverberg, he used to say to us in the class, you know, because what we were doing within the class was so kind of unusual and different, you know, for people who are not necessarily, or actors who aren't necessarily familiar with Meisner work, but, um, when you're really engaged with the process, it's, it's really strange. Like people who are veterans of acting who've never done before or people who are pretty green, like it's, it kind of creates a a fairly level playing ground Mm. to a large degree. Um, but he used to say, 
and from early on, he said, he's like, look, when, when you win, you win. And when you lose, you win. Mm. And that was just him trying to establish a mentality for learning, which again, like learning and teaching is also a very creative artistic process that, that occurs. Right. And he was trying to establish a a sense of like, there is room here. Mm. It's okay to fuck up. Right. Quote unquote, you know, like it's, it's like, it's there's, but there's not really a mistake to be made. Right. Like if a mistake is made, you learn and the rest of us learn from it. So we, we've all actually won. So it was always a win. Mm. There's always a win. As long as you know, to look for it. And as long as you leave room for it. And I think that's part of the problem that, that we we're talking about here that we face as artists is that it's like, listen, there is room for things to not go as planned. Hmm. It's not a bad thing. It's a very good thing. It's still a win. It's all a win. Right. As long as you see it that way. You know, so coming back to this, again, this hard work thing, like making it not so hard, I think hard work becomes hard when you don't enjoy doing whatever it is work that you need to do. Like if you enjoy it and like, let's define a couple words here, like work being that like work isn't being busy. Like if you're just busy doing stuff and you're, that's, that's not work. Work is actually doing something that is either building value, accomplishing something. It's actually, um, creating like some type of somewhat at least measurable result in the world where you are impacting Mm -hmm. something that's, that's producing or creating something, getting you closer to your goal. Yeah. So, you know, for example, um, if you're sitting around kind of organizing your desk, you're not necessarily doing the work. If you're sitting uh, around thinking about doing it, you're not necessarily working. You might be in some scenarios, but like for the most part, you're probably not. It's like work is for me, like as a writer is when I'm actually sitting down, putting words on a page, that's my work, right? When I'm actually creating something is the work. Mm -hmm. So the thing is, is I think people have a kind of a suffering pattern around work where they are busy And so they call that work, they call busyness work. And then they go, well, I'm not getting the results. And it's like, you're not getting the results because you're not working. You're, you're busy, but you're not working. And so I want to kind of like clarify a few things here. So for you to even work hard, you need to be able to produce something measurable. If you're, if you're like, like hard, busy, like that's, that's more what a lot of people do. They're like, they're, working hard at being busy. They're not actually working hard at working yeah. what they're supposed to be doing working what they hard, want to build. Wor- working hard at not appearing lazy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's a, and that's a big thing. People want to avoid laziness. Here's the thing. If or being you, seen that way. If you work for five minutes, here's, here's the thing. I, I, I call writers out on this all the time. They're like, well, did you write today? They're like, well, no. And it's like, if you would have put five minutes in today of actual writing, you would have worked harder than whatever you did today on your writing. <laughs> Cause that's, that's the standard you set, which was you did nothing. 
And so like, well, you thought about it, you stressed about it, you got worked up about it, you know, but you didn't do anything. So like, the thing is, is there's so much time where people like talk about how hard they work. And it's like, you're not working hard. You're busy thinking about it, stressing about it, fretting about it, worrying if it's going to be good or not. You know, when you're actually writing, here's the thing, like, and this I'm sure goes for music and painting and whatever, when you're actually doing it, there's not like a lot of room to worry about if it's good or not. When you're actually doing it, like if you're thinking about it being good or not, you're probably not doing it because when you're doing it, you're not thinking, but it's good. It's usually when you stop and you look at it or you think about it and you go, Oh, I don't know if that was any good. But when you're actually like in the process of doing something, unless you're like not connected to the moment, you're not going to be thinking about it. Like when a kid is playing with action figures or something, they're not thinking about if they're playing with the action figures. Well, they're just playing with the action figures Mm -hmm. and like they're working hard at playing with action figures because that's the goal. Right. And they're improving at their imagination of playing with action figures while they're doing it. But if they're thinking about playing with action figures and if they'll play with the action figures correctly, do you see how insane it sounds when you put it next to like a little kid? But this is how we do life all the time. And we, you know, so first of all, and it's not a silly comparison. No, it isn't. I wanted to mystify the fact that like a lot of what we call hard work isn't work at all. It's just that we're, we're just stressed out and we're worried. Yeah. That isn't hard. That isn't work. And, and yeah, that's hard on you, but don't pair that with work. Cause you make work bad. You make worrying your work and that's not your work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've talked about this before too, is that it's like, we also, we have a side that like, you're not working unless you're in pain or unless you're exhausted. That's you a know, belief people like have, it's a belief that it's just like, you know, and I mean, I get it. There's, there can be a certain sense of reward of like work, like kind of working a day and being exhausted, but only if you're like kind of, I don't know, blissfully exhausted. You know what I mean? Like after having done like a day of work on something that like you really wanted to do mm-hmm. and you enjoyed yourself doing, you're like, man, I'm beat as opposed to being like, Oh God, I'm so fucking tired. Cause like you just, you just been busy mm-hmm. doing something that you hated or making something really hard mm-hmm. on you. Right. I mean, generally I find that when it comes to art, if, if, and when you're creating, it doesn't seem to tend to go that way for long, even if that's the way that I started the way I started. And I had like in my, my, the space in my head is not what you would consider ideal. I wasn't in like a playful, all right, yeah, let's do this. Like kind of space. I've been like, ugh, kind of dreading getting in front of the page or picking up the guitar right now. And it doesn't typically stay that way for very long because Mm -hmm. eventually the creative process all just starts to unfold. And I start to just naturally follow what's happening. And now I'm engaged in the process and I'm enjoying myself. Um, but I suppose it doesn't always happen for everybody. Well, but it's, people have lots of ways of like making the thing they're doing bad. Like, you know, they, and it's all just a bullshit excuse to get yourself out of doing it. Cause like if, if we don't bring so much suffering and worry and all that into what we're doing, if we just commit to doing the thing, we would have a lot more joy. We would, we Mm. would experience, it wouldn't be hard work. See, this is the thing. Hard work 
isn't as hard as people make it out to be when you're worrying and you're stressed and you're like all that hard work is hard because it's uncomfortable when you do that. But if you decide like, okay, look, I'm going to do the job, but I'm not going to worry about it and stress about it and whatever. I'm just going to do the job hard. You might be working really hard comparatively to what other people are doing, but it won't be hard on you. Yeah. So like, I want to really kind of draw a line between hard work and hard work. There's hard work because it's hard on me because I'm suffering, but there's hard work because I'm putting a lot of focus into this and producing a lot in the time that I'm working. And I'm really putting a lot of my effort into this. It's much different than the suffering side of it. Like you can put your effort in without worrying and suffering and stressing. So first of all, that's going to make hard work a lot easier if you just do that alone. And then the other thing is that really like if you like what you're doing and you see the value in what you're doing, it also becomes easier and doesn't seem like hard work because you enjoy doing it. So it doesn't really feel like a painful exercise in spite of the fact that it's actually work and it's getting stuff done. Yeah. So like, you know, really what people would benefit from doing, and this is kind of something I want to like leave people with is if you learn to enjoy work, it no longer becomes hard anymore. It becomes play becomes play. So really the problem with hard work is just comes down to suffering and worry and stress that is undue and unnecessary. And you get to decide to be stressed or worried or whatever. So, um, you know, and the, and what we talked about earlier about the spectrum, if you're not so worried about the results, you won't stress, you won't worry, you won't take it so seriously, right? So stop taking work so seriously do it sincerely, do it full out, but don't worry so much about the consequences of like messing it up or doing it wrong. Like the thing is, is that if you take any pride in what you do, like if you care about your job to any degree, or at least you want to at least make sure you do it correctly, you will do your best at that. Right. But the thing is, is like your worry and stress and concerns and seriousness aren't actually helping you do it better but we, we've been indoctrinated into these ideas that work should be painful. And and this is why people go quote unquote, think they're lazy. Cause it's like, you're not lazy. You're smart. If work, if work is stressful and worrisome and all of this, you're smart not to do it. That's a dumb way to spend your life. Yeah. You're smart. Stop calling yourself lazy and stupid and weak. You're not, you're smart. You're intelligent. Now be smarter than that and make it enjoyable. Cause all the suckers that are doing work, and I don't mean to be mean, but the people who are suckers who are begrudgingly hating work, but working hard, even though they hate it, they're kind of the dumb ones. Cause they're actually going against their moral, their ethic, their sense of self. The people who like lazy people are the, usually if they can turn what they do, if they can turn the way they do life a little become the most successful people in the world. And the reason why is because like they learn how to find purpose and passion and joy in the work they do. And so hard work for them is not the same as hard work for other people who suffer and worry. So change your perspective of work, change your relationship to work, change the way you do work. Mm -hmm. And then you will find out laziness. And here's the other thing. Laziness is, is two things. And society has taught us all wrong about laziness. And I I really want to stress this for our listeners people don't, if you, if you say you're lazy, like I'm lazy, I I am a lazy person. 
I love that I'm a lazy person. Here's why I'm a lazy person, Evan, because I'm so fucking smart. <laughs> and I'm not, I, I, I say that with full fucking confidence. I'm so smart that if something sucks and I don't like it, I immediately go, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and here's the other thing. If I don't have purpose in it and I don't have a reason for doing it and I don't have any personal investment in it, I don't want to do it. And here's, yeah. here's the, I guess that was kind of the first one. And the second one is if I'm scared, if I'm really fearful and I'm like, I won't do it, but that's good because that's my natural instinct. And I'm not saying I should give in to fear, but if you're being lazy, it's either telling you one of two things. You're either being really, really smart or you're, or you're really, really scared or you're both. Mm. That's all laziness is. Laziness is a symptom of something else. Yeah. People are very motivated. Like, like, um, I brought this up endless motivation. One of our early podcasts, I said to someone, I said, I'm not motivated at all. They said, well, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm sitting here watching TV. I don't want to do my work. They're like, well, you're motivated to watch TV. We're always motivated. Yeah. I was working hard at watching TV, but I was motivated to do that. I wasn't motivated to do my other thing. Yeah. But once I get connected to do my other thing, I'll do that instead. But the thing is, is like, if I don't have purpose, if I don't have connectedness, if I'm suffering about the other thing, I'm going to do the smarter thing, which is enjoying myself because yeah. we want to enjoy life naturally. Yeah. And I also want to distinguish in what you're saying here is that there's a difference between, you know, sort of being lazy because like, and, and not doing something because you really legitimately don't like it as opposed to something that makes you kind of uncomfortable because sometimes being uncomfortable is tied to something that we actually really are motivated to do. Um, so there's a difference in the kind of like the pain, Hmm. where's that pain coming from? Is the pain because you're just like, I fucking hate this. Hmm. Or is it because you're like, uh, like, is, is it because it's actually hitting on your insecurities? Is it hitting on your fears? Is it hitting on those types of things? Right? Like, well, seeing where it's coming from, seeing but where it's coming from, but that's what we're talking about. We're talking about all of this shit that's getting in the way of making what we think that you want to do from doing it and from, and how you're making that really hard work as opposed to making it something that is play. Hmm. Right. And so much of that is, is our bullshit. And I think that we're just trying to shed the light on what those fears are for the most part is it's mostly fears that are getting in our way. It's mostly fears that are stopping us from making our work play. It's our fears that are making it into work. Right. You know, it's the thing I think it's like, this has to be this way. It has to be right. It can't be shit. It has to be, a, it has to be brilliant. You know, it's like, and it's next thing, you know, it's like the walls are just closing in on you and closing in on you and closing in on you. And now you can't even just, and you're not even seeing the room for what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the thing is, is you're right. I mean, and that was, that was the other way is like, you're scared. And, and the thing about fear is like in our society, we're not allowed to be scared. Men or women, doesn't matter who you are. You're really just not allowed to be scared. Scared's not a good enough excuse. It's not a good enough reason. And people don't want to hear it and they don't want to deal with it. And the other thing too, is people aren't honest about it. Like, you know, like basically why don't people write? 
who, who say they want to write. They don't write because they're scared they're going to write a piece of shit. I mean, that's really it. They're scared they're not going to write anything very good. The first thing you need to do is admit and be honest. I'm scared that I will write crap. So acknowledge that you're not doing it because you're lazy, but because you're scared. Now you have an option. Now you go, okay, do I face my fear or do I run from my fear? What kind of person do I want to be? I want to be the kind of person that faces my fear. Do you? So if you want to be the kind of person that runs from fear, don't write. Just keep doing that. But don't call yourself lazy. Just call yourself scared because that's what you are. Call yourself a coward because that's more honest. You're not lazy though. If you know that you're scared and you don't do it and there is no real, like, you're not going to die. Like you're not going to die from writing a piece of shit. Most, most likely. I mean, unless you're in like some weird country where writing is a problem, but you're not going to die from that. So your fact that you're running from that fear is, is silly, you know, so be courageous and go do it anyway, you know, but you're either scared or you don't see purpose in it. Most of the time, I think you're right. People are just scared and they're not being honest that they're scared. Yeah. You know, you said this before we even started the podcast, it all comes back down to honesty. Mm. You know, all comes back down to honesty. And I mean, you know, this is the thing. I mean, it's like, you got to be honest with yourself. You know, hard work is hard because we're dishonest with ourselves. Yeah. I mean, and the, I mean, part, huge element of art. If, if there's only one thing that art is supposed to do is tell the truth, Hmm. say something truthful. So it begins with ourselves. If we can't be honest with ourselves, then we can't be honest in our work. Totally. It's very simple. It is very simple. I think the thing is, is, you know, this is, this is a really good, um, it's a really good conversation because basically it's a, it's a nice way to explain and help people understand this at the same time. You know, I think right now, um, and, and just the way that I'm being, I'm giving everybody a little bit of a call out, including myself. I'm saying, okay, look, we're either scared or we don't have enough purpose or whatever. We're not like, yeah. you know, it's really one of the kind of like, so just look at it and it's probably fear. So if it's fear, just get honest. If you're scared, okay, I'm scared. I'm worried. What's the fear? The fear is I'm worried. I'm going to write a piece of shit or paint a piece of shit or make a piece of shit music or whatever and go, okay, fine. I'm scared. This will happen. Has it happened yet? No. What's the worst that could happen if I do? Well, okay. Am I willing to like face that? And, and, and will I get better if I keep doing it? Okay, I will. So I'm going to go do it and then do it. And the thing is, is once you like let go of the detachment of needing it to be a masterpiece of needing it to be great, you're going to do it and you're going to find out it's not so hard anymore. And the thing is, is that fear is a great blinder to purpose. So once you get rid of the fear, then you actually start focusing more on purpose. This is my experience. And I would say that most people I've talked to find the similar thing is that once you get rid of fear, you start to get connected to purpose. And once you get connected to purpose, you become pretty unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And I become pretty unstoppable. And I find people when they're connected to their why, and they know why they want it, and they're not yeah. scared, they become pretty unstoppable. Hard work isn't or very the, hard. Or the fear just it is not as big a factor as it once was. Yeah. And that's the other thing that the, the, you don't need as much courage once you start to fill it in with purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause the purpose is, yeah. Yeah. Purpose is way more powerful than fear, you know, but the thing is, is, you know, fear comes first usually. Yeah. You know, well, actually I, I would say that purpose maybe even comes first because kids don't know to be scared of stuff. 
Mm. It's only once we start to learn that we could get hurt or things could go wrong that we begin to develop fear. I mean, right. Kids will walk off the edge of a cliff cause they're not scared of it. Yeah. You know, we, until we fall a little bit and we realize, Oh, well, if I fall, I can get hurt. We're not really scared of heights, you know? Mm-hmm. So like fear is just this little roadblock, this psychological roadblock we got to work through. And it's part of the process as an artist. And I, I think that, you know, there's a nice little sub story that's come up here with this whole talk is that we've actually kind of looked at something like we looked at fear in an interesting way. And we've talked about how fear relates to this whole process. Yeah. You know, of hard work. I think work, I'm really, what I'm discovering is hard work is hard because the fear hasn't been removed and the purpose hasn't been instilled. Yeah. That's the only reason why it's hard. Yeah. Because once the purpose is there and the fear is gone, it becomes play. It becomes play. Productive play. Yeah. I like that. Um, so tell me honestly about the beer, about the beer. What do you think of this I, one? I really like it, man. It's, it's nice. Uh, it's nice and refreshing. It's kind of sweet. Um, trying to figure out what it is. Let's see. I mean, it's, it seems like it's the kind of beer that um, would almost be like a, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it almost looks like it's like a half of Eisner. It's got some weird, like crummies in it or something. I don't know what that is, but, <laughs> um, it's kind of sweet. It's tasty. It's refreshing. Um, I like, kind of like the sweetness in it. It kind of almost seems like a half, but it almost seems like it could be a sour saison as well, like somehow combined. Um, but it's not, the thing is, is to me, whatever it is, like the sourness in it is kind of, it's so gentle and there's enough sweetness and it's refreshing and light enough that I like, I'm finding I actually really enjoy this one. So it's, it's been a real winner for me. Excellent. Yeah. Well, this one, I discovered this one like last year sitting in a place and I, and I think it's become like one of their big sellers become so popular that I'm seeing it pop up everywhere now. Okay. Um, and I don't believe we've had these guys on the show before. Oh, I'm pretty sure we haven't, but this is from Fuggles and Warlock (laughs) Craftworks. Wow. Yeah. They're, uh, in Richmond, in Richmond, BC. Um, and this is their called the last strawberry. Mm. strawberry v- wit, strawberry vit, yeah. wit beer. Yeah. It's a wit beer. Okay. I thought it was like a wheat beer half of Eisen cause of the, cause of the fogginess, but yeah, the strawberry gives it a little bit of, um, it gives it that sweetness and a little bit of a sour. Yeah. Which is kind of, you know, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice beer, man. And it's, it's a, almost kind of got like, a, like almost a bit of a creaminess to it as well. Mm. Like it's got a nice kind of richness, but it's sweet. It's but yeah, a little bit sour. They got like an anime character on the bottle. Yeah. All of their, all of their, um, stuff that I've seen, they're kind of like, they've kind of got these great little anime style, like logos, but they're all gorgeous. Like they've got these gorgeous logos. Yeah. It's really cool. It's very like, um, very specific branding. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I like it. Um, that's a good one. Well, good call, man. Yeah. Way to, way to, way to do it up. Um, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's maybe wrap this baby up. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we've, uh, been chatting a while here. Yeah. We discovered some good stuff here. Um, 
Well, do you want me to go first or you go first? The wrap up. Do you got, do you got something fresh off the top? Well, let me try, I guess. Uh, okay. So here's, here's what I'm taking away from this is I'm going to, I'm going to take a, I'm going to, I'm actually going to sit down after this podcast. And what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to write down a list of everything that I think is hard work that that's work that I suffer about or work that I think is difficult or I don't like to do or I don't want to do, but maybe I know I should do or, or it'd be good for me if I did it, but I seem to avoid. So I'm going to make a list of that. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through each one of those things and I go, okay, what's in my way? Is there a fear? I'm going to look at each one and see like, what am I scared of? What's the problem? And then, uh, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen if this fear is in place and, and so on. And then I'm going to go, okay, well, why do I want to do it? What's the purpose? What's the point? What, what will this get me or do, or why would I do it? And if I can't find a good reason, then I might just be like, okay, well, I'm just going to let that go. I don't need to do it. There's mm-hmm. no point. But if I find a good reason, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go, okay, well, who do I want to be? And I'm going to be courageous and I'm going to face the fear and I'm going to go do it. And what I'm going to do is reevaluate my relationships to some of this quote unquote hard work and make it more playful, make it more fun, make it more purposeful. And I think that's a very practical way in which I can kind of take what we talked about and apply it in my own life and go for it. And I would say like, I don't know if, I don't know, uh, what will come of this, but I think it would be, um, a very, a very good way for me to get clear about some things, you know? And, um, you know, and also I think, uh, one other thing I'll add to it, and I know we didn't really talk about this, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of factor in my competing priorities because for example, um, my place, I went through and I organized and I cleaned and I discarded some stuff and I sweeped and I dusted and I feel great about it. But I remember I came home from writing the other day and I was like, I really wanted to do my live stream video game playing and like kind of, you know, do that. That would have been fun and easy and whatnot. And I was like, no, you know, I need to, uh, I need, I, I want to do this. And it was a competing priority moment. So what I'm going to do with this list as well is I'm going to go, what do I want to do instead that I keep putting ahead of this and really look at the results of like, well, if I keep doing this instead of this, what will come of it? You know, like if I keep putting off organizing and cleaning my house and doing this thing and I keep doing this other thing, what will eventually, what will happen? What, what are the consequences of keep continuing to put this thing off that I say I want to do? And that way I think it will help me to, to kind of, I want to take this list of hard work things and kind of prioritize them and put the things that are like high up on the list and start making them more of a priority. Cause I think the way I'm making them not a priority right now is I'm just avoiding them. And I'm not even looking at whether they matter until maybe they become a problem. So like, for example, let just to stick with the house cleaning thing. Sometimes I'll let my dishes build up to the point where I kind of run out of dishes. And then I'm like, okay, I have to clean my dishes. Now I've run out of dishes. Yeah. Whereas like, um, maybe instead start doing my dishes as I use them, clean them immediately. You know what I mean? It's just something that it's just a habit that I do sometimes. And I'm like, oh, this is annoying. Now I got to wash a dish to like have a meal. And sometimes it'll be the difference between will I eat in or, or go out because I'm like, I don't want to wash a dish. I'm just going to go down the street and get some food. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I spend money and I don't yeah. really want to spend money on something and I could have just made something at home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So this is how I'm going to go forward taking this talk. And, uh, I think it's a practical way for me to apply it and 
It's been a great talk for me, man. Yeah, it's no, been that, that's really awesome. That's, I mean, what you're saying, like, I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> I think I'll, I'm, I am going to do that. Actually, okay. that sounds great. Like just take a list of things that I've maybe been like putting off out of sense of hard work, identifying what my, what my fears are around it. You know, what, what I think is, is going to go wrong. Like these horrible outcomes, I imagine, you know, in the quiet recesses of my head of <laughs> what will happen. And then, but then also connecting to, well, what's the purpose of doing this? Hmm. Right. I think, man, what, a, what an awesome tool that you've, <laughs> that you've just like improvised here, um, off the top. That's, that's freaking awesome. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. That was like, that was so good. All right. That was, that was so good. Like what you had to say it's yeah. Like for me, it's like the only thing I have left to just, and it's more just like a recap reiteration. It's like, yeah, it's like all, all fears, all the stuff that's making it hard for you is, is stuff that is all bullshit. That's making it hard. You know, like it's, it's not anything that's real and to start finding the ways to make what you do play. I mean, you know, aside from like all of the sort of the hard work items that you consider, like take a look at the thing that you do, the thing that you want to do. You're an artist out there. You're listening right now. And you're like, God, I'm doing this thing. I'm trying to do this thing. And it's so freaking hard. Hmm. And it's like, well, how can you make that play? Why aren't you allowing yourself to have that be play. And Mm. I think we've given a couple of good directions for everybody to consider as to what might be happening there, Mm. which is that you're probably thinking of these things. So black and white, you've given yourself no room to move. You know, you've, you've decided that it has to be one way when it could be any number of things. And those, any number of things could be more extraordinary than the idea that you, you have in your head to start with, you know, just understand this is how the creative thing works. And that's actually not a a thing to be afraid of. Mm. That's actually the thing that to get excited about, because that's what I've been getting excited about with creation is that I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where this is going to go. That's what's so freaking great about it. Once you start to realize it's not this thing you've got to rein in and, and take control of, but it's a thing to get lost in. Hmm. It's a thing to just like explore and, and get pointed in all sorts of different ways and see things and smell things like the child, you know, that's what creation is. It's, it's about exploring all of these things as if for the first time and seeing where it goes finding something that interests you going in a completely opposite direction. Nope, nothing there. Let's go this way. You know, like that's, that's what the whole thing is about. That's the engagement that, that creation requires, Mm. you know, and it's way more fun and no, you don't know how it's going to come out, (laughs) (laughs) but that's the fun. Yeah. That's what makes it great. And that is actually the thing that's going to give you a shot at doing something amazing. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, and you actually reminded me of something we kind of started off with in the beginning. And what I might add to this list, 
just as a final little thing is I might add in, uh, options of ways to do it. If I'm like, mm-hmm. if I don't like the one way that I'm trying to do it, maybe I can do it a different way, you know? Um, yeah, you know, there's so many different ways. Yeah. There's different ways to do it. Um, you know, and, and maybe just go about things a little differently than I've been thinking. Cause maybe I just don't like the one option I think I have, and there might be another option, you know? Um, you know, like, uh, let me just give an example of what I mean. Like, say you want to, um, uh, say you want to write, you might go, well, I could write at home or I could write at a cafe or I could go to the library, like change the location, or maybe I'll write by pen on loose leaf paper, or maybe I'll write in a little book, or maybe I'll write on my laptop or a typewriter but change, you know, different ways, you know, you yeah. want to date, maybe instead of trying to meet people in whatever activities or at work you do, maybe go online, maybe try a different online thing, maybe go to or a different online location, spend your thing, go and do, try something else. Yeah. Sure. Maybe join a social group where you might meet some other people. I, there's different ways to go about doing the same thing. So yeah. I think what I'm also going to add to my little list is some options about going after things like some different avenues. Cause maybe I'm just a little too tunnel visioned in the way I think I need to do it. Yeah. So that's what I got, man. Juicy. Oh yeah. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family, or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.